Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine world. And well, I mean, if you've been listening to anything I've been saying for the last few years, uh, you realize that resiliency and robustness and, as I like to say, anti-fragility for communities is something that's important to me. And so I'm really excited today to have um, our guest, uh, Andre Davis, here with the Resilient Initiative. Um, and, oh, hello, Brian. And, uh, <laughs> and and also, one thing before we get started, I just wanted everybody to let you know that this uh, segment is brought to you by DLAN, the Buffalo Computer Graphics Disaster Land. And it is a wonderful uh, program for instant management systems. And if you take a look, we had a, a really great webinar with Tim from DLAN, and you'll find it on our YouTube channel as well. But let's uh, bring Andrea into the show. Hi, Todd. Hi. Hello, <laughs> so I, I, I did a piece a long time ago. Well, I did a, a talk, I guess, on on anti-fragility and what it means and because using Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, and, and realistically taking a look at what resiliency is and why it's important to build resilient communities. How did you get involved with the concept of resiliency? Well, first, Todd, I just I want to say thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to be on your show. I'm a long admirer of yours, so thank you. Um, and I was really excited this was going to be your topic because it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And in resiliency, I know it kind of takes on different meanings um, to people. And for me, it actually it starts with you as an individual. And it's it doesn't mean that you can control like the bad day from happening, but it's just making yourself and building up that confidence to be able to weather what's going to come your way, whether on a personal level, whether on a community level. And I, I started in emergency management way back in 1999. Um, my first crisis was Y2K because, you know, the, the world was ending at that time. And I knew nothing about the field. I just fell into it. And I feel so fortunate, Todd, that I did because my whole job was working for a nonprofit in San Francisco, and it was working with other nonprofits and helping them with their resiliency planning, looking at their continuity of operations to make sure that they could at this time, right? It was, they were really worried that we're going to lose power, internet, everything, you know, society as we knew it was going to end. But from a planning perspective, that's good for any, any type of hazard um, to, to think about your operations. And it was really cool one to, get to know all these different services, these different nonprofits through the city, and then just be able to give them this gift, this gift of thinking through a bad day and how it would impact them and then how they would still serve their clients and customers and, and typically in very vulnerable populations. And so that that's how I got my roots in emergency management. And I just saw the value of that, of just those building blocks of helping these small nonprofits with their plans, then that builds on it to help the resiliency of the city. And then thinking through like a, a big hazard that would happen, you know, Y2K thankfully didn't happen, but you know, something like an earthquake, which is a big risk for San Francisco, having all these plans in place and having these people talk and having these relationships ahead of time before something bad happened was just great for me to see that and see that, that value. Because then when the bad day presents itself, 
we're that farther along to be able to weather what's going to come our way. And so having kind of that roots, uh, you know, learning that side of emergency management, I'm just really thankful for it because I, I took it through all my different jobs that I had. And that's like taking that step back and like helping the communities, whether if I was private sector where, where we had um, a, a business or an operation in, in this community, that business would not keep its doors open if that community didn't have plans in place. And speaking, thinking, you know, my, my last employer before I went out on my own, you know, was Walmart. If Walmart didn't have relationships in place with the local communities to get their trucks in, um, in a time of crisis, they couldn't get supplies in. They couldn't open that store. They don't have customers then, right? If you don't have a community, you don't have customers. And so this, this, this interconnectedness of how supporting just the simple planning side and helping people become resilient, I just think it's so powerful, Todd. It's so powerful. And it's simple. It's simple. It, it, it truly is. And, and you know, with, with the idea of, of the robustness or anti-fragility attached with what resiliency is, um, and the idea is you build back stronger after an event, right? Um, and so we, we talk about building back to where we were, to normal. And, and my, my contention is no, no, no. We need to build stronger to, 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 to reinforce, to mitigate these issues so they don't happen again. And, and I think that what you're doing at the Resiliency Initiative is, is really, you know, singing that song as well. You know, in Y2K, I, I, I was in the field when, when that was going down. And, and I remember we were all like, we weren't even sure if our MDTs were going to work and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and you know, it ended up being, you know, a lot of, as we call, live drill, right? And I was thinking everybody should go through the planning process that happened for Y2K. And I think that made a lot of emergency managers stronger emergency managers. And the other day, somebody posted on, um, on LinkedIn um, a story about EMP. And I had another guy who writes for us um, at the Emergency Management Network wrote a story, a piece on EMP. And my, my statement was, you, you know, for those of us that say it could never happen, well, you know, they, people also said COVID could never happen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, or, or a pandemic. Um, but the idea is if we plan for that wild, crazy, worst case scenario where nothing is working, the everyday emergency becomes easy. You know? Yeah. You can handle it. And if you're just thinking about this this absurdity, Right. And and like like I said, Todd, I'm so thankful that was my start because it was planning for something that thinking about it now is absurd. But you're totally right to call out COVID. We were never any of the planning that went into like pandemic was all focused on staffing loss. And, you know, I remember like having these columns like 10 percent, 20 percent, 50 percent, like writing all my different pandemic plans. And and so I wrote the plans um, for the Walt Disney Company. Never did I ever imagine every theme park would be closed around the globe. The cruise ships would be docked. ESPN would have nothing to film. It was it was much more of a um, like a Katrina like catastrophic infrastructure impact, and that was not the planning. That was not the planning done for a pandemic. And but if we had just taken a peek at how SARS had impacted Asia we would have had a better idea of the economic impact that a global pandemic could have. But you're right. It's just like something sometimes shuts off in our brains. It's just like, oh, no, I we're going to get through this. And then 
we're going to just keep going forward and we're just not going to think back. I just want things to be normal and, and really not understanding the value of what that crisis just taught us and the learning and look at that, look at how we work differently now because of COVID and that, you know, and, and, and having these options in my, my whole company, right? My entire team works at a different location. I wouldn't be able to do that if I thought about the way we used to do business, right? Mm-hmm. That I need, it's old school, I need to be there, I need to be present and, fa- and present means I'm face to face with you. And so it's just, I, I always, I never want to lose that ability of kind of leveraging that bad day of just like, let's not, let's not forget these lessons. This, and yeah, it was traumatic. It was horrible. And we don't want to go back, but why would you want to go back before? Right. The new, what is, what's awesome now? Right. And then, so we just don't keep like repeating, you know, this idea that it's just going to constantly keep happening. And then we, we see people almost have disaster fatigue and just kind of shut down and, and think about when they start thinking about disaster planning. You know, with, Let's talk about the resiliency aspect of of what happened, you know, on 2020. And, and and 2020 has to be, you know, for emergency managers at least, that that craziest year that could ever happen in a career. We have, you know, starts off in in February, March with COVID coming to the United States. We start doing these, you know, mask mandates. We go, okay, it's only going to be 15 days or whatever, and it keeps moving. And then, of course, you know, George Floyd happens. And then, you know, we have the summer of, of violence and all over the, the, the United States. I, I don't think any city, major city at least, uh, went untouched by that. You know, um, you know. so now you're not only are you in a, in a, in a pandemic, you have the civil unrest that's happening across the country. Um, how, how did we rebound from that? Were we a resilient nation from those two events in 2020 i actually think todd we're still kind of rebounding from it and because you know if you continue into 2020 we had a hurricane season that went into the greek alphabet something we had never seen before and then we round out that year with the texas winter ice storms that knocked out at least in my universe like 752 walmarts closed because because of those texas ice storms. it was the largest natural disaster that Walmart had ever responded to. And here's the world's largest retailer. And so I I just remember it like it felt all of 2020 felt to me because my first day on the job was January 6, 2020. Right. Yeah. So I my crystal ball was off. And so as far as um like I and I'm thinking in my my head, I've done emergency management response a long time. I'm going from the world's largest entertainment company to the world's largest company piece of cake. I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I felt so sorely prepared, Todd. Um, right. one, mainly because I didn't speak retail. My, my gut instincts, especially from my planner's eyes, were all off. I never would have thought how um, COVID ended up was, was what it was going to be. I was in the camp of, it's a couple months at most that we get through this. And then to have to take um, Walmart's emergency operations, they're 24 seven, so that like their GSOC to completely virtual for two years, never in a million years would I have thought this. But I think the bounce back is actually still happening because it was so intense 
and 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 with with and I just witnessing just on my team on individual levels and then all the personal stuff everybody's dealing with and especially anybody who had little ones at home that just joined the workforce right because <laughs> we included them in our zooms is that we we haven't I feel like ha as a, a culture yet been able to really digest what we learned and and to be able to be resilient to the next step because I think in some respects Todd people are still going through it sure. like and they can't they can't it took me the longest time and of course I I've left the company subsequently but you know it took me the longest time to get out of this what's next when's the alien invasion like right. I I really I couldn't switch to like because the normal wasn't normal right we weren't going back to the office we weren't going back to the way things were nor did I think that we should but I just I couldn't I couldn't get back to my like okay <laughs> um and that and that's one of the drivers I would say Todd to why I wanted to to kind of go back to my roots and be working with like nonprofits and small businesses to help them see that path forward to resiliency because I was really struggling, Todd, really yeah. struggling to get back. You, you know, this other thing, too, on the, on the retail side, in which we didn't mention, was the whole um, supply chain issues that we came up, that oh. came up, you know, and then the grocery stores are empty, you, you know, and, and I, I went to um, to a Rite Aid, and nothing against, it went, I don't think it was just Rite Aid, but this happened where I went, and they actually shortened their store, like they put shelves up. So you couldn't, so because they had so not enough stuff to put on the shelves that be brought their shelves forward and shortened their store uh, from where it was at. I thought I found that kind of interesting um, as well on that solution. You know, as an emergency manager, uh, you know, I, I was always concerned about the small business. I always thought they target the Walmart, you know, the, the we're okay, yeah. you're gonna be okay, you know. Um, but it was like Main Street, small mom and pop shops, um, and working with the um, with the Chamber of Commerce to to get preparedness stuff out to to them. Um, I, I thought that was always critical, and I'm glad that you know the, you, your organization is is working on that. How has been the reception from those small businesses to saying, hey, you know, I don't have the money, I don't have the insurance, whatever that their excuse is, uh, not to do it because it's easier not to do it than it is to do it. Well, I try to, um, at least my approach has uh, been like, I'm, I'm talking to my dad. He had a mom and pop diner um, where I grew up in small, uh, Redding, California is where I grew up and had a diner for uh, 20 years. And we were lucky to have a fire extinguisher. The um, grill caught on fire. So there was no like emergency preparedness or continuity of operations. And my dad always talks about um, like if COVID had hit when he had the diner, that he would have gone bankrupt, that we would have gone out of business. And that I think that is indicative of a lot of small businesses. They saw, and some of them actually have not opened their doors post COVID because they couldn't pivot, they, right. whatever the, the business operations were. I found um, through COVID, because I was so fortunate to have some friends you know, help me um, with the resiliency initiative and work with small businesses, that they reached out saying, we need help. It was a small dance studio um, in Southern California saying, I, what do we do? How can we stay in business when the county's shutting us down? And just to think, so how can we offer virtual dance lessons? Like it's never been done for, before, but how can we think that through? And so I have found that it's 
very receptive, that small business are receptive to it. But when you're dealing with like a mom and pop shop that has like two people that work for it and they, they're working 16 hour days just to keep their doors open, trying to convince them to do the standard way of planning, like how we know to, to go through and do a thorough um, you know, continuity plan or emergency plan and then test it, it's, it can fall in deaf ears because it's overwhelming. And so I, where I've found the most success is actually just saying, you know, it's really, it's not about the actual plan. It's about the process. It's like mm-hmm. sitting down with your team and let's just think this through, you know, and make it something so simple. And that could happen to any one of us. Like you just lose power. We just lose power right now. How are we going to continue this podcast? You know, and just helping them think that that way. And then just trying to connect them with um, resources that are free. I mean, there's, you can go into ready.gov and download a plan, right. but unless you fill it out, it's it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna do you any good. And so it's I'm hoping to provide just connecting the the dots to help people. And this is obviously passion for me. I am not going to be a millionaire doing this. Um, that's my my intention. I just I found that with starting a company as opposed to a nonprofit, I had a lot more. Um, flexibility and how I could spend my money and and focus on certain projects, especially internationally. And so I, I've found a lot of just um, just like good feeling, like being able to say, hey, you know, I know someone um, right down the street that does this for a living and will give you this plan for free. And just let me connect that dot for you. Or even with local jurisdictions, I think that there's such a, a sentiment like, oh, you can get FEMA grant dollars. Um, to do pay for your plans. But if that local jurisdiction is one person, one emergency manager for everything, <laughs> um, they may not have that skill set to one to write the grant application to go through that process. They may not meet whatever the specific standards are. And so then they this this community of 10,000 people could go without a plan because they just don't have the capacity. And so just to be able to just say, well, Hey, I can do that. This is this is is a skill set I love and, and enjoy. Let me see if how I can help you do that. And I think it's just giving presenting a path forward because I think sometimes it's just insurmountable to people, especially if you're just trying to get your doors open. Yes. Yes, it's absolutely. So hard. It's so hard. It just it has to be like brushing your teeth, you know, and it just make it that way. And sometimes Sometimes we emergency managers haven't been that great at selling it as as something we say it. It's a have to do. You must do it or you're going to die. Well, that just makes somebody shut down. Right. Right. At the end of the day. And it's not that's not adding value. But sitting down with somebody and saying, hey, let's just think about what we would do in in a situation. I I see an acupuncturist and she's a one woman show and she's um, in a little shopping center. And I. You know, I hate to have these thoughts, but when I have all these needles in me, I'm like, what in the heck would I do if there was an active shooter situation? And, and, <laughs> so I, and I asked her, I'm like, have you thought through an active shooter situation? I, of course, knew the answer. Right. <laughs> but then subsequently we sat there and like, OK, let's figure out what would we do? How would we help patients? I mean, something as simple as that. And no, is that a, we sat down and wrote a plan? No, we didn't. But we thought about the process. You know, you bring up after shooter and and the and the small business and and the uh, the unfortunate experience that I had when I responded to an active shooter was at a beauty salon uh, in a small retail space, 
with two restaurants on either side of it, you, you know, and, and it was during lunchtime. And, and, and you, you know, I mean, and upstairs there were doctor's offices and things like this, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, even, you know, even if it's, as we called it, Mayberry, Mayberry by the Sea, you know, you have to have those plans for, uh, for all these type of events. Um, and, you know, one of the users, or one of the users, one because it says LinkedIn user, I don't see your name, sorry. It says, um, I think resiliency starts with small business. And, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, there was a city, and, and I, I want to say it was, Oh man, I'm, I'm, it was Northern California, and I forget the name of it. And for whatever city, if you guys are listening, I apologize for not using your name. Um, one of their plans they had for a post-earthquake um, uh, resiliency initiative, for lack of using your name, um, was to is to put out in the park um, circus-type tents and to oh. be able to, to be able to bring the businesses into that um, and and supported with security and all that kind of stuff uh, to be able to keep the shops open because if you think about you know an ice cream shop for instance small mom and pop ice cream shop you know if they don't have electricity you know they, they lose their entire inventory you know and, and they're never they may never recover from that and most businesses if they don't reopen their doors within three business days they're never going to open again you, you know and, and i think what you're doing with small businesses is commendable and, and need and is very well needed uh, I'm looking at this other thing. It says we're doing planning preparedness training exercises in the 1980 with elements that we call resiliency. Would you consider new and not rebranding? Do you consider new and not rebranding? I'm not really sure where you're going with that question. Um, are you saying that resiliency is an old concept and that that we're rebranding? If you Facebook user, if you want to let way back in on that question, because I, I want to just kind of make sure that we're answering your question correctly. Um, no, and, and I'll, I'll just, I'll take this for a second, and, and Andrea, I'll give it to you. Um, I don't think the concept of resiliency is new at all. It, it was really founded um, in ecology in the 1970s, 1973 to be exact, um, with the idea of, of organisms to go in under stress um, were able to rebound in the ecological standard and to come back to be normal or, or sometimes better. And we adopted that concept as community back you know, maybe in the 80s, maybe even before, uh, the idea of resilient communities, you know. Um, oh, okay, so he wants to know what the new elements in, in what you're doing are. That's a good question. It is a great question because I actually kind of agree that it, it's been around a long time. Um, and, I, and I think that um, how we started it out, Todd, is like resiliency does mean different things to different people and how it's being branded is differently. Um, I, you know, how... I've been um, pushing it is just really making, giving yourselves the tools for whatever it's on a personal level or on a, on a business level to be able to, to keep going um, after something happens. And, and that something is whatever you define it as, because it could be the, the simple, as you said, for the ice cream shop losing their power um, to the major big bad day that we all experience with the, the pandemic. But um, as far as new elements, I actually, I, I don't, I wouldn't say there are specific new ones other than as far as considerations, I think as a collective emergency management community, we've gotten much better at considering the, the idea of whole community, making yeah. sure that small businesses are part of our plans. And it's not just a, a government focus 
that we have an eye to our functions, functional and actual access, accessible needs um, communities, that we're looking at making sure like from a language standpoint, how we're communicating to all of our different audiences. And so I think that our the planning process is getting more accessible. We always have to have an eye to that to keep moving forward. But as far as new elements, and I, I can't really think of something very specific other than just making sure that we're reaching all the different communities um, with the principles of resiliency. And I think one of the things that we've done poorly in the past as emergency managers, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, is that we looked at the idea of emergency management as the government entity you know, even when we like take a look at FEMA, we're looking at public assistance, which is you know really just for infrastructure and in the in the mm -hmm. government. You know, individual assistance is always this thing that we go, okay, well they'll deal with it over here, um, and and we forget that in, in cases of businesses or not businesses as government is it's not just people and homes, it's the, it is those small businesses that really keep us running, and the majority of tax base is the small business. Right, Walmart's and Targets and you know Home Depots and Lowe's—they're great to have um, in your community because of the tax base. But at the end of the day, if you lost all those small businesses, you're you're not going to be able to function. You don't have a community if right. you don't have the small businesses. I mean, just think about just any anywhere where you uh, anybody lives, right? You know, without your restaurants and your coffee shops and you know the place where you go make coffees or in just you know the little country store. I mean, it just like, it's the, the heartbeat of all of our communities around the globe. And, and that to me is where we need to invest and, and to, to shore up because we saw it, we saw it during COVID. I mean, it just, yeah. And you're right. I mean, like when you, when you mentioned like you weren't worried about the, the big dogs, the Walmarts, the targets, because they had a me, right. There was, they have people on staff, small businesses don't, they don't. And, you know, like I, since the age of 10, you know, I was waitress, a pie girl, like anything you could think of at my dad's restaurant other than the cook. He was the cook. And so, but you take it, one of us gets six, we don't open for the day. Yeah. You know, and it's just, and it's thinking that through that 99% of our economy is run by small businesses. That's a vulnerability that we need to look at as emergency managers and making sure some they got a seat at this table right. when we're talking about our community planning. And I think for for emergency manager for emergency managers out there listening to this, I think your first step if you're looking for that is to really build that relationship with your chamber of commerce or your business development organization. You know, um, and and I think that's realistically working through them, and it's a it becomes a collective, if you will, uh, for emergency for people that are looking for emergency planning that they can go to and, and work together because they're already paying dues, you know, so they, they're going to, they're going to be interested in hearing what they have to say and and reach out to them and, and ask to see if you can speak at one of their events, go to the rotary clubs, to the Kiwanis clubs and to things like this to speak to the local businessmen and women that are out there, you know, making a difference every day. Um, and, and I think that's uh, the critical and reach out to uh, Andrea Davis and, and see how she can help out with, with helping your community um, as well. I want to give you a little bit of time here to sort of pitch what you're doing and um, so people want to get a hold of you. So, you know, I, this is a, a fairly new venture for you. I'm excited for you that you're doing this. Um, I, you know, what, what are your goals and objectives and, and, and how do people work with you? 
Sure. Thank you, Todd. And, and thanks everybody for listening in. And so I, as you said, Todd, this is new. Um, this was not on my vision board to start uh, my, my own company. But in April of this year, I left Walmart Corporate America to go out on this venture. I, I had an opportunity to work with the United Nations on their disaster risk conference, which was in Bali, Indonesia. It was really tough spending 20 days in, in Indonesia and Bali um, to help out with that conference. <laughs> but I, I felt it was a sign from the universe. One, I was absolutely exhausted from three years of dealing with COVID um, and being at the helmet at Walmart for emergency management and really felt this calling to go back to my roots. And so the Resiliency Initiative, my, my team is um, completely virtual. We're in different locations around the United States, um, home based. Um, my, I'm from native California girl, it's a California company. Um, and um, Lorraine, my executive director, she's down um, in Southern California. And so I would say that's like our global headquarters uh, for lack of better words, but we specialize in, in working with um, small communities and um, small businesses. And we're not, right now we kind of have a diverse set of clients. We're working with a, a Native American tribe and we're working with um, a small business franchise, which has global locations and then um, a conservation um, authority group as well and some nonprofits. And so it's been a great um, kind of leap of faith um, going back into my um, kind of my planning roots and being able to support. And then I've been able to leverage the relationships I developed um, traveling for Disney um, internationally. And we're working with um, the Resilient Foundation, which is based in India that supports um, rural tribal schools um, in just simple emergency preparedness. And so the Resiliency Initiative is actually funding five schools to receive this training and um, they're elementary um, school age kids. And just to learn life safety measures and emergency preparedness because they're in the areas that they are so rural and don't have a lot of community resources for them. And so flash flooding can come and just literally wipe out communities and 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 hundreds of kids actually die each year and so just making this investment to get these kids the vital training so they'll take it home to their parents and then working with the schools to help the schools like with their own resiliency and and thinking about some mitigation me measures to keep the schools safe and so that's where my my heart is right to be able to like parlay whatever little profits I've got into kind of supporting some of these nonprofit ventures. And to me, that's how you pay it forward. And that's, that's how you make a resilient world, right? Because you've got to, you've got to go to the heart of where we have, you know, the most vulnerable and who need this and don't have resources or access to them. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that work because I think that's very important, you know, <clears throat> and um, how do people find you? So my website site is just um, theresiliencyinitiative.com. I'm Andrea at theresiliencyinitiative.com. You can email me and I'm very present on LinkedIn. You can find me just Andrea Davis. Um, just hit DM me or send me an email. Um, if I'm traveling, sometimes I'm a little delayed, but um, I'd love to talk with you and chat with you. I can talk about this all day long as Todd knows. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate you and what you're doing and, and, and taking that leap of faith in, in April and creating your own organization. And 
I, for those of you that have not reached out or, or, or found it, take a look at what the Resiliency Initiative is doing, uh, especially some of their, their nonprofit work. Uh, I think it's critical in that we need to have more of this and not less of this. So I appreciate you, Andrew. Thank you, Todd, so much. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this morning or this afternoon. And it is, again, it's a pleasure to bring this information to you. And uh, Disaster Land, D-Land for Buffalo Computer Graphics um, has uh, stepped up to, to sponsor these shows. And I'm really excited to be working with them as well. Hey, um, if you would like to more information about uh, Andrew Davis, please check her out the, the show in the links in the show notes below. Um, I think it's... Uh, uh, definitely worth your time and, and effort to, to check what's, what the work is being done. And everybody, I really hope that you stay safe and stay hydrated.